Well, good morning, and again, I'm Camper Monday, Associate Pastor, uh, and my joy to welcome you and to wish you a Happy New Year this first day of 2012. Well, as you know, it was just a week ago, last week we celebrated Christmas, God becoming man in the person of Jesus, a baby born in a manger. And we spent the last two weeks in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah, the the prophecy foretelling the birth of the Christ child. Well, these next two weeks, uh, today and next Sunday, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. Uh, We're going to be considering the reality of God becoming man, the incarnation. And within the incarnation, the redemption that comes through the God-man, through Jesus. You see, Christmas is not over. I've said it before and I will say it again. Christmas is not over. Because we do not pack up the baby Jesus in a box with all of our Christmas decorations and then put it away in an attic. Because Jesus grew up. He died on a cross on our behalf. And he rose from the dead. And his redemptive work continues today. Our text this morning is John chapter 1, verse 14. Just one verse. It's found on page 886 if you're using the Pew Bible. But let's take a moment to pray before we hear God's word. Our good and gracious God, we come to you this morning, this first day of a new year. And we thank you that your redemptive work continues today. And we pray that you would would make us aware of that reality by the the transforming work that you would do in our hearts and our lives, individually and corporately. Lord, we pray that for today, we pray that for this year, and we ask that right now you would do what only you can do. That is, that you would open your word to us, that you would open us to your word that we might behold your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, our text is John chapter 1, verse 14. However, I will read it in its larger context, uh, verses 1 through 18. So hear the word of God from John chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But, but to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And this is the word of God, given to us for our good and for his glory. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory full of grace and truth. God became man so that we might behold his glory. That's the very purpose of the incarnation, that we might behold the glory of God. And so this morning, I want us to consider God's glory. What it is, where it is, and how we see it. So we're going we're gonna to walk through three questions. What is God's glory? Where is God's glory? And how do we behold God's glory? That's where we're headed. So let's start with the first question. What is God's glory? Well, you can't really look it up in Webster's or the Oxford Dictionary because God's glory is one of those hard-to-define realities. Uh, it's like trying to define God. When you think of God's glory, those certain words might come to mind. Brightness, splendor, majesty, radiance, magnificent, power, goodness, perfection. God's glory has been referred to by theologians as the visible manifestation of God's self-disclosure. The display of God's nature, character, and power. Also the praise and honor attributed to God by his people. Uh, Biblical scholar C.K. Barrett rightly notes, The glory of God is not merely his praise, but more so his activity. The glory of God is not his praise, but his activity. And so you see, for our, our purposes this morning, we can define God's glory as the visible manifestation of his redemptive activity. The visible manifestation of his redemptive activity. Think about it this way. A light bulb. You probably didn't pay particular attention to a light bulb this morning, but it has been beneficial to you. They are beneficial to us right now. A good thing, something that we need, something that helps us see. A visible manifestation of electric activity. Okay, but think about it another way. I think back to when Heather and I were living in Vancouver, Canada, and one particular winter day, and winters in Vancouver, it doesn't snow a lot, but it does rain a whole lot, uh, very similar to Seattle 
uh, winters. So a lot of rain. Uh, we're in a, a high-density urban area, and where our church is located, uh, just across the, the lane, the back alley, there's a construction project going on. Those of you that have lived in big cities know that whenever there is a, a construction project going on, you fence it off. A, a, a chain-linked, metal chain-linked fence around that construction site. And the reason is, is to keep people out and to keep things that should stay in there in there. Now, it was a Saturday morning. Uh, we were, were having a seminar uh, at our, our church building, and construction was going on that day. Well, it was raining. A not-so-skilled uh, crane operator, or at least one who made a big mistake, was operating the very large crane swung it around, hit a telephone pole, and knocked live power lines to the ground up against this, this metal chain-linked fence while it was raining. Okay, let's just say that grand illumination is wonderful, but this was spectacular beyond what I could have ever imagined. And here we were in the building, on the one hand, drawn to it, wanted to go out and see it and get closer. But at the same time, knowing that it would kill us. Something beautiful, something brilliant, and yet something still very dangerous. It, too, was a visible manifestation of electric activity. Well, God's glory is good, brilliant, powerful, transforming, and it is dangerous. It will destroy sin. And it will bring new life. It will destroy the wicked, those who refuse God's pardon and lordship. It will renew the righteous, those who receive God's mercy and grace in Jesus. Again, God's glory is the visible manifestation of his redemptive activity. So that's a little bit about what God's glory is, but where is it? That's our, our second question. Where is God's glory? Well, no surprises here. We just celebrated his birth one week ago. God's glory is revealed most clearly in the person of Jesus. In verse 1 of John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 1, we see that the Word is one with God in divinity. And then a little bit further down in the passage, our particular verse, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In verse 14, we see that the Word is one with us in our humanity. And then just a few verses later, in verse 17, we see that the Word has a name, and His name is Jesus. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God really and actually became one of us. Our church's statement of faith puts it this way, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became man. He was and continues to be both God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. This is Emmanuel, God with us. 
C.S. Lewis calls the mystery of the incarnation the grand miracle. The grand miracle. And Lewis illustrates it uh, this way. I love this, this illustration, and, and to really get into it, those of you who are dog lovers will have no problem. Dick and Eve Turner, no problem. You will enter this in a heartbeat. If you're not, if you like cats more than dogs, just pretend for a moment that you really like dogs. But this is how Lewis would illustrate the grand miracle. Lying at your feet is your dog. Imagine for the moment that your dog, along with every other dog in the world, is in deep distress. Now, some of us love dogs very much. And if it would help all the dogs in the world to become like us, would you be willing to become a dog? Would you put down your human nature, leave your loved ones, your job, hobbies, your art and literature and music, and choose instead of the intimate communion with your beloved, the poor substitute of looking into the beloved's face and wagging your tail, unable to smile or speak. Christ, by becoming man, limited the thing that to him was the most precious thing in the world, his unhampered, unhindered communion with the Father. And Jesus did this because he loves us. Jesus did this that we might be forgiven of sin and become one with him that we might behold, that we might enter into the glory of God. You see, Jesus reveals God's glory most profoundly on the cross. John, the, the gospel writer, the apostle, understands this well. Verse 14, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And then just a few verses later, verse 29, uh, the, the gospel writer referring to another John, John the Baptist. In that moment that John the Baptist first laid eyes on Jesus, first saw him, and the Baptist declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, we behold Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Glory, full of grace and truth. The visible manifestation of his redemptive activity in Jesus. And again, the purpose of the incarnation is that we might behold his glory. But how? How do we do that? That leads to our final question. Our third question, how do we behold God's glory? And just even asking that question, I, I realize there, there may be some of you this morning that are saying, okay, we, I cannot go there. I mean, come on, John and the other disciples, they saw Jesus in the flesh. I don't, I can't, how can I behold his glory? Well, it takes two things. Two things, the eyes of faith and a simple request. The eyes of faith and a simple request. Let's start with the eyes of faith. Do you remember when uh, Luke Skywalker learned to use his lightsaber? Didn't do so well at first. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, his mentor, his discipler who had gone before him and was imparting knowledge to, uh, 
to young Skywalker, had given him the, the, the lightsaber, and there was this softball-sized orb, this robotic orb that was just floating around, and Luke was to defend himself from the lasers that were being shot at him with his lightsaber. And Luke was losing uh, badly. He was getting hit every time. Obi-Wan Kenobi said, you are trusting in what your physical eyes can see, and you need to go deeper. And so Obi-Wan blindfolded Luke and told him to look deep within and was beginning to teach him to see through spiritual eyes. Okay, now, I realize they aren't spiritual eyes in the Christian sense, okay? I'm not going there. Looking at the force. But if you are in Christ, if you have put your trust in Jesus, then you have something, or rather someone, who is so much more personal and powerful than the force could ever be. And we're introduced to him later in John's Gospel. John 14, Jesus says this, And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another helper or counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. So Jesus is about to depart. And he tells his disciples, the world will, I'm leaving, the world will not see me, but you will see me. Not with physical eyes through which the world looks, but with spiritual eyes through which the children of God see. The eyes of faith. Because in this case, believing is seeing. Believing is beholding. And yet many of us struggle to see God's glory clearly. Even though it is displayed all around us, all the time. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But for now, let's turn to the simple request. Okay, show of hands. Anyone know who, know who Rod Tidwell is? Rod Tidwell. Oh, I see a hand right here. We've got a movie buff. Okay, another movie illustration. Uh, a little easier question. Anybody know who Cuba Gooding Jr. is? Okay. Well, the reason you probably know Cuba Gooding Jr. is he's a, a real person. Uh, Rod Tidwell is a fictional character. But Cuba Gooding Jr. won an Academy Award for his portrayal as the fictional football star, Rod Tidwell, in the film Jerry Maguire. Do you remember his famous line in the movie? Rod Tidwell, Cuba Gooding Jr., his famous line. Yeah, you know it. You're already laughing. <laughs> Jerry, can you show me? Can you show me the money? Jerry, show me the money. He inquired he pursued, he insisted, and he received. He got what he asked for. Now, I want to take you back for just a moment, a little bit earlier in Scripture, in Exodus. Think back to Moses and God on Mount Sinai. You know the story. 
When God reveals his glory to Moses, hides Moses in the the cleft of a rock, covers his face, passes by, removes his hand, that Moses could get a glimpse of his glory. You know the story? Yes, God revealed his glory to Moses. But first, Moses asked to see God's glory. In Exodus 33, Moses requests, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God invites us to ask to behold his glory too. But have you asked to see God's glory? Are you asking to see the glory of God? Now, sometimes God's glory is is seen in extraordinary, spectacular ways. But most often it's seen in ordinary, yet still profound ways. God's glory is often seen in our relationships. It's often seen in the relationships that we have with one another. I think of my relationship with Ben Robertson. Most of you know Ben, good friend of mine, fellow PCA pastor. Well, recently I hurt Ben. I let him down. Though unintentional, I sinned against my brother. Now, possibly he might have never found out. And and honestly, I was scared to say anything to him. I don't like conflict any more than the next guy. And I especially don't like to be exposed in my failure, in my shortcomings. But by God's grace, I confessed and I apologized. Now, he was hurt. Uh, In fact, at first he was angry, and, and rightfully so. But by God's grace, Ben forgave and embraced. He forgave me. He embraced me. We were reconciled as brothers. And with Jacob in Genesis 33, speaking to his brother Esau, whom he had wronged, with Jacob, I can say of Ben, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. God had opened my eyes to his redemptive activity. I had seen his glory. I had beheld his glory displayed in another. Now I realize that not every confession or confrontation ends in reconciliation. I've experienced that disappointment multiple times. But God's glory is still manifest through your trusting obedience and your humble repentance. Because you see, that's growth in grace. That's a work of God's Spirit in your life, the indwelling Spirit, working in you to step toward another to confess or to confront. That's a glimpse of God's glory. Jack Miller, a pastor, a a gospel-saturated pastor, Presbyterian pastor who served in Philadelphia, uh, served as professor at Westminster Theological Seminary before his death. I I love the way that he puts the glory of God. 
Jack Miller refers to the glory of God as being the difference between what by fallen nature you would do and what by redemptive grace you are enabled to do. Do you hear that? God's glory, the the glory of God is displayed in the difference between what you in and of yourself by your, your own fallen human nature would do. And what by God's redemptive grace, by the work of His Spirit, enables you to do. But so often, we deny tension in relationships. We run from confrontation. We avoid conflict. And when we do that, we avoid relational honesty. Think about what we do. So often we seek to manage people. I do this, you do this. We seek to manage them rather than understand and relate to them. And yet we were created for relationship. We were created to relate to each other, to engage one another deeply, freely, and redemptively. God's glory is meant to be seen in our relationships. Genesis 33.10, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Chew on that. That is profound. That God would reveal himself through his word and by the work of his spirit in us and through us to one another. God's glory is seen when we deal honestly and graciously with one another. In the midst of our differences, our sin, our brokenness. As a a good friend of mine in Roanoke has said before, true community is messy. But it's also beautiful. And all this can only happen by grace. Again, we can't do it in and of ourselves God's glory is the difference between what by fallen nature you would do and what by redemptive grace you are enabled to do. By grace, as we increasingly live in a posture of faith and repentance, and I mean daily repentance, through continual dependence on Jesus. So where do you need to see God's glory at the start of this new year? Where do you need to behold the glory of God? Maybe something to confess and apologize for. Maybe someone to forgive and embrace. Maybe a a relational tension that you just don't even understand. It's a relational tension that is confusing, and you just need to begin the conversation. Trusting Jesus and and leaning into the awkwardness, stepping toward the other rather than away from them. Or maybe you need to see God's glory in some other area of life. But whatever it is, ask God to show you His glory. Ask Him. He will do it. 
He will reveal Himself. He will make Himself known. He will show you His glory. Now, I don't know what that will look like. But what I do know is this. It will have the beauty of God's redemptive work all over it. Brothers and sisters, as we begin 2012, may I encourage you. In fact, I I exhort you and me. Ask, and you will find. Seek, and you will receive from God. Because Christmas is not over. Let's pray.